through the prophet Isaiah, God says this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, I don't do things the way you would do them. When I make my plans, I don't make them the way you would make them. Those are helpful words for us to keep in mind. Because we often get confused and sometimes we even get angry about the way God does things. And the reason is we expect him to do what we would do if we were God. But through Isaiah, God has forewarned us. We can expect him to do things differently than us. We can expect him to use people we wouldn't use. We can expect him sometimes to bypass people we would definitely use. That's what we're going to see in 2 Samuel this morning. Our passage is going to focus on two strong men. One of them thinks he can do God's work for him. And the other thinks he knows better than God's king. But both of these men are going to show us God's ways are not our ways. The background to what we're going to read, just to recap a tiny bit, is that Israel's first king, Saul, has died. We were told that in the very first verse of 2 Samuel. We've also seen that David has been crowned king by Judah, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And Saul's general, Abner, has crowned a rival king, Saul's son, Ishbosheth. Those two houses, that's how the Bible refers to them, are now at war. The house of David and the house of Saul carried on through Ishbosheth. We're going to pick up at 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 2. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 306. And in the large print, 471. And we're going to read all the way through to the end of chapter 3. The passage begins in Hebron. That's David's base in the southern part of Israel. Chapter 3, verse 2. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithream, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? 
Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said. So he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. Yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michael whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. For the Lord promised David, By my servant David I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king, so that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then, David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner son of Ner had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and that he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you were doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern at Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Isahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and his whole family, 
May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Azahel in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the buyer. They buried Abner in Hebron and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also. The king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. And all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. All the people took note. And were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. This is God's word. And it starts with a list of the sons born to David during his time in Hebron. Six of them by six different wives. We've noticed before, polygamy was common practice at this time. The Bible never says it's a good thing. And over time, God moves his people away from it. But here, we're simply given the details of David's family. And the purpose is not to focus on his wives, but on his sons. Sons were important because they made a king's position firm. If you had sons, your house was likely to have a good future. You had people who could succeed you. David had at least one daughter as well. We'll meet her later in the book. But here the sons are mentioned to show how David's kingship is being strengthened. Now so far he's only king of one tribe, remember. But God is blessing him. God is making his house stronger. And straight away, We're told about someone else in Israel who is making himself stronger. Look again at verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aya. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? No doubt there are many ways Abner has been strengthening his position. But here, Ishbosheth accuses him of a particularly significant grab after power. 
And we need to ask, what was a concubine? Well, when a man married a wife in this culture, he paid a bride price to the girl's family. So many camels or whatever the agreement happened to be. But that didn't happen when a man took a concubine. So a concubine in this society had a slightly lower status than a wife. But being the king's concubine was still a very significant position. And so sleeping with the king's concubine was a pretty bold move. In fact, it signaled you wanted to take the king's place. Now, it's not entirely clear whether Abner actually did what Ishbosheth accuses him of. He does get hopping mad about the accusation, and that could be either because it's false or because Ishbosheth is daring to stand up to Abner. But the important point here is what happens after the accusation. In verse 9, Abner says, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. We might wonder, is Abner switching sides because he can't bear to be crossed? Or is it because he realizes Saul's house is going down? And this gives him an excuse to leave. Again, we're just not told. But we are told Abner believes he has the keys to the kingdom. He thinks he has the power to deliver the kingdom to David. He says, I will do what the Lord promised to do. I'll keep God's promise for him. That's remarkable self-confidence. And here, it's enough to silence Ishbosheth. He curls into a ball and starts sucking his thumb. At least he does something very like that. Verse 11 says he was too afraid to say another word to Abner. But when Abner tries the same self-confident approach with David, he doesn't get quite the same reaction. Look at verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you, literally my hand will be with you, to bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David, I will make an agreement with you. But I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. When Abner says, Whose land is it? The implication is, It's mine. It's in my hands to deliver to who I choose. Now, we'll see later Abner does have significant influence in Israel. 
from a human point of view, what he's saying here is just about true. But we'll also see the land and the kingdom are in God's hands, not Abner's. David knows that. And so he doesn't get overly excited by this offer from Abner. In fact, he says, if you really want to help Abner, start with something smaller than the kingdom. Give me back my wife, Michael. The background to this is recorded in 1 Samuel. Michael was Saul's daughter, and Saul tried to get David killed by setting a ridiculous bride price for Michael. He said, I don't want any camels, David. Just give me 100 Philistine foreskins. Then you can marry your sweetheart. And I guess it must have been true love on David's part because 1 Samuel said he brought Saul not just 100, but 200 Philistine foreskins. He married Michael. But later, when David was on the run from Saul, Saul married her off to Paltiel just to spite David and without any concern for Michael. So before we read this and get too sorry for this guy Paltiel, let's remember David had never divorced Michael. That meant according to biblical law, Paltiel was committing adultery by marrying her. As well, of course, he was cooperating with Saul's spitefulness in this whole thing. But notice what David is doing here. By demanding that Abner and Ishbosheth reunite him with Michael, David is making a very clear statement to both of them. You don't do favors for God's king, you serve him. You don't offer to give him power. You get on his side and you acknowledge his power. Well, the next verses tell us David's orders are obeyed. Michael comes back and Abner does use his influence with the elders of Israel to bring them over to David. Although we discover that they already wanted to make David king anyway. So when Abner arrives at David's camp, he's more like a messenger than a kingmaker, really. Look at verse 19. He, that's Abner, went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. The significance of Benjamin is that it's Saul's tribe, but even they are now behind David. Verse 20, when Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king, so that they may make a covenant with you and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. David's openness to Abner is remarkable. He treats Abner well, even though Abner's been fighting him for years now and trying to build a rival kingdom. David welcomes him with a feast and he sends him away in peace. 
Abner could play a role in serving David. But he still thinks he has the kingdom in his hands. In verse 21, he says, literally, I will arise, I will go, and I will gather all Israel. I'll deliver the kingdom to you, David. I'll keep God's promise for him. Abner rushes off, sure of his own ability. But within hours, Abner will be dead. And the kingdom will not yet be delivered to David. Abner is the strong man who couldn't deliver the kingdom. It's important to see the passage in front of us is not really critical of Abner. Now you and I might be highly dubious about Abner's motives in all of this. But David is willing to welcome and accept him. So Abner is not criticized here, but in the end, he's just a sad figure. In human terms, he's a great warrior and he has significant influence. And he believes he can use his strength and influence to do God a favor. And do God's king a favor. He believes he can keep God's promise for him. And he will die believing that. Abner will never see the true part he could play as a servant of the king. It's possible some of us are thinking like Abner. Thinking we can help poor old God along a bit. With our expertise and our insight. If that's the case, we have to understand our true place. Our place is to obey God's king and serve him. Not to think we can solve his problems for him. But maybe the greater challenge for most of us here is in how we think about human strength. You and I can be just as impressed by human strength as Ishbosheth was. He was in awe of Abner. And we can begin thinking as Christians that what England needs is a great man or woman who can take this country by the scruff of the neck and deliver it over to Jesus. Maybe some great evangelist or some great strategizing leader Someone who can fulfill Jesus' promise to build his church. But what we really need is not men and women with great power and great ability. We need men and women who will faithfully serve God's king. Abner said to David, I'll give you all Israel. But David said, just bring me back my wife. In other words, you can't deliver the kingdom to me, Abner. That's not in your hands. But you can obey the smaller command. You can be faithful to me in this task I give you. You and I can't deliver the kingdom to Jesus. And we shouldn't expect even the most gifted leaders to do it either. But what we can do 
is obey him in the little things. The things he sets in front of us every day. Well, as Abner hurries away from Hebron, another strong man is just arriving. His name is Joab. And he is the strong man who didn't understand the kingdom. Joab wasn't around when David was seeing Abner. And the thing that drives Joab crazy when he comes back is the fact that David let Abner go in peace. Look again how that is emphasized in the text from verse, the end of verse 21. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Just then, David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner son of Ner had come to the king and that the king had sent him away and that he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. Joab is so mad, he hardly knows what to say. He may as well have said, are you stupid, David? Joab believes he knows better than his king. When a man like Abner walks into your camp, you don't feed him dinner and let him go. You kill him. So that's what Joab does. Without telling David, he has Abner called back. We don't know what the message was, but whatever it was, it didn't make Abner suspicious. He comes back and verse 27 says, Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Azahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. This verse reminds us there's a history between these two. Last week, we saw how Abner killed Azahel, not in cold blood, but in a battle, the battle of Gibeon. But Joab was still determined to get revenge. And one writer says, what troubled Joab most was that Joab's king had treated Joab's enemy as a friend. As far as Joab is concerned, if he has a quarrel with someone, it's David's responsibility to take up that same quarrel. But if David won't do it, Joab will. Abner had killed Azahel by stabbing him in the stomach. Joab kills Abner the same way. Except this is not a battle situation. This is murder. Joab avenges his brother. No doubt he believes he's doing what David should have done for him. But Joab has not understood what the kingdom of God's king is all about. God's kingdom is a place where enemies can be forgiven and welcomed. 
Joab thought David was way too quick to trust Abner. And anyway, what right did David have to forgive a man Joab wouldn't forgive? Have you ever thought that yourself about someone in the church? How could Jesus forgive that person after all they've done? Maybe it's a bit more personal. Maybe you have a quarrel with someone in the church. And you think Jesus should take up that quarrel for you. That he should weigh in on your side. Take the other person down a peg or two. And maybe the person you're thinking of isn't the most pleasant individual. Maybe they have a pretty shady record. But when we refuse to welcome those Jesus is willing to welcome, we're just like Joab. We're saying we know better than our king. And we're showing we really don't understand the kingdom. When Jesus Christ was on earth, he was surrounded by people like Joab. People who rebuked Jesus for welcoming what they thought were the wrong kind of people. But Jesus turned and said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's ask ourselves, are there people we think are too bad for Jesus to forgive? People who are too bad for a place in his kingdom? Is there someone in this room? And we just wish Jesus would get angry with them the way we are angry with them. Joab's calling was not to fix what he thought was David's mistake with Abner. Joab's calling was to honor the peace David had made with Abner. This is not about being gullible. It's not about pretending that sin isn't really sin. This is about welcoming those Jesus has welcomed. It's about being willing to set aside personal quarrels for the sake of God's kingdom. Joab's real problem was he thought his quarrel with Abner should become David's quarrel. So let's be careful, each of us, that we don't expect Jesus to take up our quarrels or even our prejudices in some cases. When David hears what Joab has done, he has just one concern. He wants to say to all Israel, don't judge my kingdom by the actions of my general. Don't think that Joab's ways are my ways. How does David get that message across? Well, he puts on a big funeral for Abner. And he forces Joab and his brother Abishai to lead the procession. Verse 30 tells us Abishai had helped Joab kill Abner. 
Maybe he carried the message that brought Abner back. We're not told. But he played a part, and so they both lead the procession in mourning clothes in honor of Abner. And for the occasion, David writes another lament. Apparently, this wasn't as big a hit as the one he wrote for Saul and Jonathan's funeral. This one didn't make it into the book of Jashar. But the message of this lament is, this is not what my kingdom is about. In verse 33, the king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. In other words, David is saying, Abner may have been my enemy in the past, but he came to me in peace, and I received him in peace. He should not have died the way he did, like a rebel, a lawless one. He should not have died like a prisoner being executed in chains. David also shows his mourning by refusing food all that day. And the people get the message. Joab's ways are not David's ways. Verse 36. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. And on this day, David is not going to add to the bloodshed. In verse 39, he leaves Joab and Abishai's punishment with God. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. But in verse 39, we also have this curious statement from David. At least it's curious as the NIV has translated it. The NIV says, Today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. The sons of Zeruiah are Joab and Abishai. But the reason the NIV translation is curious is that David has just forced them to humble themselves in front of all Israel by leading Abner's funeral procession. So it seems odd that after just pulling them in line, David would then say they're too strong for him. But in fact, the words weak and strong in verse 39 can also be translated gentle and hard or severe. And it seems in the context what David is actually saying is, I, God's anointed king, am gentle. These sons of Zeruiah are more hard than me. These men who claim to represent me, they are severe men. They are unwilling to forgive. But I, God's king, am gentle to those who come to me. When my enemies come seeking peace, I receive them in peace. I welcome them. 
and I gave them a feast at my table. David is not the perfect king, but he does point us to the perfect king. The one who said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. When we turn from our rebellion and come to King Jesus, he will receive us in peace. Maybe you wonder if you have been too much of an enemy to Jesus. Maybe you've even been told Jesus doesn't want people like you. But it's not true. He has a feast prepared for people like you. If you'll come to him and give your life to him. And those of us who claim to serve King Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, could it be that we are harder than he is? Do we sometimes think he's been a bit too hasty in welcoming certain people? Do we sometimes want to carry on the war with some people when Jesus has already received them in peace? Let's pray. Father, we came here this morning not just to bring our praise to you, but also to hear from you. And so we ask you to speak to us. If what we need this morning is comfort, then we ask you to comfort us. Show us how gentle your king is. Show us how willing he is to forgive even rebels like us. Show us we can leave here today at peace with you. And if what we need this morning is to be challenged, then please do that. If we are more severe than your king, then we ask you to melt our hard hearts. Show us our own rebellion. Show us how much we are in need of forgiveness. And bring us back to Jesus in repentance. Amen. Let's sing, Immortal honors rest on Jesus' head. <laughs>